0: This is not a Scientology episode, so if you believe in Scientology, leave now, because you will be disappointed. Okay, are we good? Did they leave? Because of course, this is a Scientology episode. We just didn't want to get on their bad side. Welcome to Cryptic Soup. Let's get this wild thing started. Hurry up! I feel the need. The need for speed.
1: The 1950s were a time of enormous anxiety for Americans. We were talking about space travel and alien worlds. We were starting to get to know how the mind works for the very first time. All of these things fed into Hubbard's imagination as he began to create Scientology as a religious movement.
0: Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Tina. And I'm Kylie. You're listening to Cryptic Soup. Kylie, what movie is I feel the need, the need for speed, a quote of? I don't know. It's Tom Cruise movie. You get one option one choice so go for it mission impossible it is top gun actually <laughs> but pretty damn close um why did we put tom cruise well because everyone knows when you talk scientology you gotta talk tom cruise so i thought that would be a good little starting thing for us today real quick what would you say your favorite like three tom cruise films are i put a bunch of examples here in case you can't think of them off the top of your head because i'm that kind of person so you got like Top Gun, Mission Impossible, Edge of Tomorrow, Rock of Ages, War of Worlds, Vanilla Sky, Jeremy McCoy, Days of Thunder Right, nope, Moves. I got it. Risky Business I got The Outsiders. It. War of the Worlds is one of my favorite movies of all time. Weird. So War of the Worlds, um, Top Gun, the original, obviously. And Wait, why'd you say obviously? The second one's so good, also. I haven't seen that one yet. Oh. And um Um Edge of Tomorrow. Have you seen that? I don't. OK, wait, I have either seen War of the Worlds and not Edge of Tomorrow. Or They're very, versa. very different. But, but like, I can't think without seeing so like the picture and everything. You know what I mean? Edge of Tomorrow is right there <laughs> on Corey's wall. OK, I've seen War of the Worlds. I have not. Yeah, seen War of the that. Worlds is like the aliens. Yeah. And then that one is like they have to start over every day until they figure out mm-hmm. the bullshit that's going on. So I would say probably Top Gun, either the first or the second. The second one is like a comfort movie at this point. I love that movie. Yeah, I need um, to see it. I don't know. I have a I have a soft spot in my heart for Jerry Maguire because I saw it at such a young age, you know, and they're like, show me the money. I haven't seen like, it. Oh, okay. Then never mind. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> um, no, you, I mean, you do you. <laughs> but I really like Rock of Ages because I like musicals and there's a lot of really cool people in that. I and do like Rock of Ages. It's just so good. And Tom Cruise's character is fucking hilarious. He's like. Stacy? Yeah, he's like a villain type person. He right? has that. um be- No, he's actually technically the good guy. He's just the drunk. His manager is the bad guy, but he has that one belt buckle that's like a mm. snake with the tongue. Yep. Pretty funny. Um, Which sidestepping from that in the Christmas episode, if you remember, we talked about how if you guys wanted to, we would give you a list of movies of 2022 movies. And now it's, you know, January. So we're going to give you our 2022 little summary wrap up and we're going to bring Chris back for it in a minute. So I pretty much said what we should do was name like five of our favorite films we saw in 2022. They don't have to come out in 2022, but like five films that you at least, you know, watched in 2022. You didn't tell me that. If you listen to the voice memo, that was in the fucking chat. I definitely listened to the voice memo. (laughs) That's upsetting. Um, But I did want it to be 2022 movies, but it didn't have to be, I guess. And then five movies that you either really want to see that you didn't or like that you haven't seen. And people are always like, what? You haven't seen that? You know, like something like that. Mm -hmm. So, Kylie, you want to go first? No, you can go. Okay. Uh, top five films of 2022. I'm gonna start strong with Sonic 2. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but I agree like I loved the first one so I'm sure the second one is just as just as good. such a good film and no, I'm not fucking around with you guys. I genuinely <laughs> really love Sonic and Sonic 2. Um also I just love that man that's in it and I can't name his name but Margie right now is saying oh, his name is blah blah blah. I don't fucking know, but I love every movie he's in. he's awesome. okay. Uh, everything Everywhere All at Once, let's be honest. That's on everyone's list. Uh, the Batman, The Adam Project with Ryan Reynolds and um I haven't seen it yet. The Hulk. I have to. I can't think of the Hulk. The name. Hulk. What's the Hulk Bruce Banner? Bruce B- <laughs> uh, Paul? I want to say no, Paul. No, that's Paul Rudd, who you're thinking of, no. but that's not. That's Ant Man. I thought he was also Paul. He's not a Paul. I have to I have to look it up now. Fuck. He's, it's Bruce Bannon. Yeah, he's the guy from 13 going on 30 also. Damn, that man. Uh, Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> yeah, that guy. <laughs> the Hulk. <And> Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Banner. Uh, and then lastly, it's a real hard toss up between Barbarian and Phone. Both just so solid movies. It just depends on what I'm feeling. That I am day. never going to see Barbarian. god it's so good it's so good it's so good oh my god it's so good i can't shut up okay uh and then five films that i either like want to see or that i probably should see because people give me shit for not seeing this list could be 305 films but i did narrow it down i had five but i just thought of a sixth one so uh wally i'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna say story story, but i really want to watch wally someday a ghost story i really want to see that that is a good one yes get out I don't know how, but I never saw that somehow. That's I, weird. Yeah, I don't know. The John Wick movies. Okay, but but, but hold up. Hold up before you're starting the judgment here. <laughs> I did in 2022 watch the first one. So now it's like I need to watch all the other movies in the series. I think there's what, like three? Yeah. So far. Well, the fourth one's coming out. Yeah. yeah. So I need to watch the second and third. I did like the first one other than the whole dog dying part. Spoiler alert. <laughs> 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 We've talked about it in other episodes where the dog dies. So it's fine. Um, And then... Number five, I should have put Home Alone because everyone on the planet gives me shit for wow. never seeing Home Alone, especially my mom this year for Christmas because she wanted to watch it. But I actually put a movie instead that I haven't seen that I've heard a lot of friends talk about and that I really want to watch, not just because of who's in it, but The Lighthouse. Mm. I've just only heard good things about it. So I yeah. just feel like, ah, actually, you know what? Also, let's just throw Dunkirk in there. I want to watch that, too. We own The Lighthouse. Yeah, I know. By the way. Okay. Okay. We got it for you guys for Christmas. Well, I know, but like (laughs) we own it, so like there's no excuses. Well, I I, I, it's so bad. Like I want to, I want to see so many movies. movies. Yeah, okay. Kylie, give me your list. All right, my list. So I didn't understand the assignment, so all of mine are from 2022. (laughs) (laughs) Mine ended up being 2022s. Yeah. Um, Avatar, pretty pretty good. Um, I love. I love the sea and I love, I love water. So I love, I love whales. If you, if you know, you know, sea world. Yeah. It's, we won't a, it's go an there. episode in the archives also. If yeah. You but more. avatar is fucking beautiful. And I cried twice. That's me. That's who I am. A uh, bullet train. Cause it was amazing. And. Brad Pitt is so. Um, it's a great movie. So charming. I just can't. I can't. It is one of the funniest action thriller movies I've seen yeah. in years. I well, think. Well, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith was one of my favorite movies of all time growing up, like all time. Yeah. Uh, nope. movie.
1: Great cause, movie.
0: Cause nope. Uh, everything, everywhere, all at once, of course, and Black Phone. But I do want to say that my favorite Netflix movie of 2022 was Day Shift. Which is that such shit was a good awesome. Film. <laughs> if you haven't watched it, it seems like we watched the trailer before it came out and we like put it in our like remind like, us when this yeah. is on. We watched it and we were like, I can't tell if it's like satire. It's or either going to be really good or really fucking bad. And it was really good. It was really good. It's yep. a good film. Jamie Foxx is really good in it. All right. And then my. Probably gonna crucify me for not seeing. Um, I've never seen any of the diehard movies. Any of the cult classic horror films, any of them. Literally any of them. Like no Nightmare on Elm Street, no screams, no nope. trick-or-treats, no terrifiers, nothing. I mean, I'm not even naming just the OGs. I'm naming other ones, but she's never seen any. I have seen The Shining. <laughs> okay. Actually, that's a pretty good step up. Yeah, but that's it. Corey hasn't though. So you can crucify him for that one. Um, Pulp Fiction. I actually have noticed that I haven't seen a lot of Uma Thurman's movies. I don't know why. Uh, Fight Club and The Pan's Labyrinth. I also didn't see Star Wars until I was 24 and absolutely love it now. I didn't see Star Wars until I was 25 and I absolutely am obsessed now. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> I was missing out for so long. Yeah. And then and Harry- I watched it on National Star Wars Day just to like awesome. for shits and giggles. Um, And then I didn't see Harry Potter until I was 19. Hmm. So I like wanted to see the new movie and
1: actually binged wait, that shit. I
0: think I was 24 too. I think I was 24. I think we might have been the same age. Watch well, us like have watched it at the same time. Because I knew I wanted to watch it before the newer series came out and stuff. And mm-hmm. I just. Yeah. Okay. I thought I was going to hate it. Like I was like, these are too. so old. It's going to suck. I'm just going to sit here and pout. And then I fucking love them. I was them. like, <laughs> how are people so obsessed with it? I was like, the fandom just really bothers me because the few people I did know that were into it, I couldn't stand them as humans. And so I was just like, yeah, oh, I'm going to hate it. And then I was like, fuck, I'm one of them now. But <laughs> like, Fuck, I love <laughs> <That's> it. <me. laughs> so we're going to real quick insert Chris because we had Chris record his lists also. And we're going to we're going to just, you know, Corey, do us the favors, would you?
1: Hey, hey! Thanks for patching me in remotely, Corey. You're the real—you're the real hero of this of this dynamic. Anyways, hey, dorks, what's up? Yeah, I'm back. Uh, Athena and Kylie needed my top five of 2022, so here we go. My top five movies of 2022, in no particular order. This is just how I remembered them. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once. That better win all the awards for 2022 because it's the greatest movie I've seen in a long, long time. Um, Willie's Wonderland, the Nick Cage movie where he beats up Chuck E. Cheese animatronics. That movie gave me a love for a very niche genre that doesn't have much of a catalog for me to indulge in. You know, so it's really just really just set myself up for distress, which, you know, it's. Just uh, just how we do it over here at Casa de Anxiety. Anyways, moving on. Next one. Nope. The new uh, uh, Jordan Peele, right? Yeah, Jordan Peele. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry, I was getting my names. Jordan Peele, the new Jordan Peele movie. Nope, fantastic. Um, I don't want to say anything because I it's it is kind of a suspenseful movie. You know, there's a there's a point where you think it's this thing, and then later on you start to not. Oh, maybe it isn't that thing, and then it it's it's a wild ride. Would absolutely recommend it. The next one is probably the most wild movie I watched and fell in love with in 2022. It's called Color Out of Space. Okay, it's uh, based off of a H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, I know he's he's got some questionable things in his past, but you know what? He he makes a good fucking horror book. Okay. So we're just gonna look past all that stuff. He had a he 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 named his cat a poor thing. Okay, you know it's. I'm sure there are plenty other. There are uh, so many more better names than what you named your cat. But maybe you're trying to be cheeky. I don't know. It's different times. We're gonna move on. Color out of space. It's a fucking cosmic horror movie, and it also it's got Nicolas Cage in it. It's fantastic. I couldn't recommend it more. And then the last one on my list, I went with the Fear Street trilogy. It was on Netflix. It's not necessarily a one singular movie, but they were so good in as like a trilogy that I'm counting it, and I think everybody should watch it. Um, films I haven't seen. Okay, let it. Let me just say right out the gate. I'm not going to watch any of these movies, okay? I haven't seen them, and these are movies that people are often surprised I haven't seen. I'm aware of them. I have just made the conscious decision to not watch them because what? I don't care, okay? Number one, Lord of the Rings. Oh, which Lord of the Rings, Chris? All of them, any of them, anything to do with Lord of the Rings, I have tried to watch, okay? I've tried to watch every single one of those movies, and I have fallen asleep every time and this isn't just like a one-time thing okay (laughs) they used to play uh, they might still do it tnt on cable network bro they used to play those fucking movies all the goddamn time and i tried to watch them because you know sometimes there's nothing on and I'm like okay well at least this is violent it doesn't even matter because it still put me to sleep okay i'm sorry i know lotr has got like a huge diehard fan base but i'm just you know it was boring it's boring Okay, Shadows of Mordor, the game though, that shit fucking ruled. I love those games. All right, moving on. Next one. An oldie, but a classic, and in most of the lists, it's in like, I'm going to say probably top 10 greatest movies ever made. We'll say top 20, just to be safe, but Casablanca, okay? Never watched it, never have had any interest, okay? But I heard that movie sucked anyways. I'm dramatic pausing. Okay, if you got it, good for you. That was actually a a day to remember reference. Good for you. Next movie, Frozen. I don't fucking care about that movie. I don't need to see that movie. I don't want to see that movie, okay? I don't need to see Frozen. Oh, but Chris, you should. It's really great. I don't need that movie because I already have Coco, okay? Coco is superior in every way, okay? There's fucking skeletons. There's acoustic guitars, Okay, the Dias de la Muerte, like, tell me that those things aren't better than Frozen. Okay, you're wrong. The last one, at least on my list, uh, Dazed and Confused. I know, I, I'm a big proponent for smoking the doobies, right? But I I don't know, man, Dazed and Confused is just, I never got around to it. Never, never really cared. Uh, Cheech and Chong got to me first, okay? That's, that's where I went. Um. Athena told me to give five, and I'm going to count that as five because Lord of the Rings has like fucking seven movies. But she told me she wanted another one, but I'm not going to fucking give it to her. Because if you refer back to the Christmas episode, the Mothman one, yeah, you'll remember that I, much like my colleague Mr. Mothman, are, am, am, I am <laughs> an agent of chaos. Goodbye.
0: Okay, so... You fall asleep whenever you try to watch Lord of the Rings. That's interesting. A lot of people are really upset with especially, you right now. Especially, I'm literally wearing a Lord of the Rings shirt. <laughs> it's like, why did you drop something? And you're like, oh, so it's like that's so weird. Um, I love Lord of the Rings. Uh, that's weird because I think Willy's Wonderland almost put me to sleep. I think that's one of the worst films I had seen in many years. It's like, uh. A silent version of Five Nights at Freddy's with Nicolas Cage done badly. I mean, yikes. <laughs> I'm sure there are people that really like it, but I'm really I'm like really anti about that movie. So it's kind of funny that that's in yours. I feel you like on the Frozen thing. I've never seen Casablanca either. I only wanted to watch it because Hugh Hefner said it was one of the best films that was ever created. And I think he's a <laughs> dick bag. So I feel like the movie will suck. <laughs> and, I haven't seen it either. And I've never seen Days and Confused. Nope. Or Cheech and Chong, actually. So I... Will not watch those. Movies. Yeah, that, it just doesn't really appeal to me. It's no. Eh. I watched some of the Harold and Kumar's, but they they weren't even that great. They were just like you put them on in the background type things. So. Also, I've only seen two of the movies that he has in his main list. So, Nope, nope and Everything Everywhere All at oh, Once. I've yeah. never seen the other ones. So yeah, sorry this was a longer intro, but it was something you guys asked for, so we wanted to give you guys the information. Uh, At the end of the episode, we will talk about the giveaway winner because that will be in this episode. So the official entries are closed because in like an hour from now, you will have a winner to the giveaway. The giveaway? The giveaway! Also, we're about to talk about Scientology and we talked about Tom Cruise a minute ago. A lot of people know like other famous Scientology people like uh, the girl that plays Donna in that 70s show, she's a Scientologist. Mm-hmm. Like she's from Orange and New Black. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's other ones too, John Travolta, and then Christy Alley, which is the do you know who Christy Alley is off the top I, of your head? I think so, yes. Okay. She actually died this year. Like the day I was writing this outline, I happened to be looking up Scientologists and she died like two days before this. I was like, damn it. That looks shady. <laughs> Fuck me. So she died December fifth, twenty twenty two. Which I keep saying this year we're still recording in twenty twenty two. You guys will get it in twenty three. But uh, I guess we should just uh, really start in on Scientology because we got to cover L. Ron Hubbard tonight. What do you think the L stands for? Take like three guesses. Loser.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god.
0: <laughs> um, uh, close. <clears throat> no. close though yeah close because he's a loser no um take you get three guesses
1: Hmm. (laughs) marge
0: no first (laughs) hint it's a city in the state of indiana keep going i'm not from indiana keep going (laughs) Lima? Okay. Second hint. Lima. It is not English. That doesn't help me. It's Lafayette. Oh. Weird, right? Who names their kids Lafayette? Hmm. I don't even like the city Lafayette being named Lafayette. Now you're gonna name Okay. So a lot of people know what the base of Scientology is due to the crazy stuff that surrounds it, because there are a lot of celebrities in it, like Christy Alley, like we mentioned, John Travolta, Tom Cruise. They're all avid members. And then a lot of TV shows poke fun at the religion. There's episodes through South Park, Family Guy, The Simpsons and a lot of other ones, you know, all those shows that like poke fun of social issues. All they all have Scientology episodes because it's easy to poke at. Overall, the understanding of Scientology usually leads to more questions than answers because it doesn't like fully make sense. You get you get really lost about halfway through and then you kind of like pick back in and then you like fall through and stuff, mostly because it's doesn't fucking make sense, though. That's why the bigger question is always like, is it even a religion or is it among money hungry cults that formed over the years and now it's repressing its members into being too scared and too invested to try to fight the cult and leave it? So I don't know. What is it? Is it a religion? Is it a cult? Well, today we're going to talk about L. Ron Hubbard, Dianetics and the beginning of it. And then part two will divulge more into like the creeds, the codes and Scientology itself. What makes Scientology some of the really intense, scary things that have happened to members of the church, if you want to call it that. And all the like shady stuff happening. So like part one is the history Part two is the scary. We're not even history before mystery. We're history before scary this time. Scary. Scientology is officially considered a religion with its base goals being they offer a precise path leading to a complete and certain understanding of one's true spiritual nature and one's relationship to self, family, groups, mankind, all life forms, the material universe, the spiritual universe and the supreme being. That is a direct quote from the Scientology website that is literally asking them what their fundamental value is. According to those that are in charge of the practice of Scientology these days, they compiled a list of their primary values that the religion holds as a standard. So this is their standard belief system, according to them. Scientology believes that man is far more than a product of his environment or his genes. Scientology compromises a body of knowledge which extends from certain fundamental truths. Prime among these are man is an immortal spiritual being. His experience extends well beyond a single lifetime. His capabilities are unlimited, even if not presently realized. Scientology further holds man to be basically good and that his spiritual salvation depends upon himself his fellow, and his attainment of brotherhood with the universe. Scientology comprises, not compromises. Where did I even have that word? <laughs> oh, it's all the way at the beginning. Yeah. You waited. <laughs> I yeah. did. You did. Um, the whole breakdown of these will happen throughout this whole episode, but I wanted you to go into this hearing how they think you're supposed to be. That That one spot is what I tried to kind of hint to you guys is really important important scientology further holds man to be basically good they believe that man is good that is like a big part of them and you're like well okay yeah like we all make mistakes but we're good at nature i'll i'll get more into it but that is a big thing with them is that we as human man is good The word Scientology is taken from the Latin word sio, which means knowing, and the Greek word logos, which means the study of. So it's the study of knowing things. That pretty much makes sense, right? It literally means knowing how to know. Knowing how to know. Knowing how to know. Yep. Scientology itself is defined as the study and handling of the spirit in relationship to itself, universes, and other lives. So this is more of the... Scientology believing man to be basically good, not evil. It's a man's experiences that have led him to commit evil deeds. It's not his nature, because by nature he's good. So it's what he has done that will lead him down the path of making the wrong choices. So because man is basically good, he's capable of spiritual betterment at all times in his life. That's how we're able to keep like fixing ourselves, is because we're good. We just making you know, a little hiccups but since our core value is good, you know, those those other things can be righteously absolved and like changed and fixed in a sense. So we learn from our mistakes. Yes. The goal of Scientology is to bring man to the point where he's capable of sorting out the factors in his life and solving his own problems. Scientology has a lot to do with fixing oneself and bettering yourself, like going to therapy and fixing your past to improve your future. Now, if we stopped there, Scientology sounds So good. Sounds great. I would totally believe it. I'm in the cult for sure because Scientology does do a lot with therapy in a sense and they think that your past will influence your present and your future. Wow that fucking makes sense. That's phenomenal but then they do their therapy in a bad way and then if you don't agree with them they get a little heated and (laughs) it goes downhill but like at at its core if it just would have stayed like that it would be bigger than Christianity, I think. Or like yeah. Catholicism or any other religion. But then they had to add all the other things. All the culty things. <laughs> all all <laughs> the other culty things. <laughs> it's it's it, it, at that core value. Scientology does sound like one of the most healthy religions you could or healthy cults that you could be in. But once you dive deeper, you'll realize these layers. It's kind of like an onion. The more you keep peeling back the layers, <laughs> you'll realize it's not so... It's not what you want. Okay, Shrek. Yep. (laughs) Part of what makes the therapy concept toxic is when you're sitting there talking about your past and your flaws, instead of it actually being a therapy session to fix your mentality, they're just really actually wanting you to give this information so they can hold it and use it as blackmail later. Well, okay. It already went downhill, right? Like really fast. (laughs) Like if they wouldn't have done that, that would have been a good thing. But then they ruined it already. Which, okay. I have to talk about this cuz when I was writing this episode it brought me into this weird headspace. All right, I had an experience that feels like Scientology, but it was a, it was friends. Okay. It was friends supposedly. I'm going to put like air quotes around those words friends. Okay. So, it's this like weird power trip fake therapy thing that I went through. I was in my early 20s and I had a really 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 close group of friends. So we called ourselves the circle of friends, right? There were five of us in the circle. And when I think back on it, it is the most toxic thing in the world. Five, uh, five people besides me. Okay. when I now think about this, I'm like, why the fuck? A, was I friends with any of these people? And why did I let this happen? Because it happened in my house nonetheless. So one of the things the group decided to do to become better friends was they initiated this thing they called sharing time because it would bring us closer together as friends. And this isn't an orgy story. Don't worry. (laughs) So, Damn it! <laughs> so what they would do is we would all hang out on a certain night like they picked like, you know, Tuesdays or something. And we would all sit around in the living room and we would drink alcohol and you had to tell all your secrets, your fears, your lies, anything sexual you ever did, everything you thought for the week, everything you felt, everything like any shady shit you've been doing. If you were cheating on your significant other, if you were lying to someone, if you called off work and you weren't even sick, you even had to tell them that. And they made you tell everything. And some of the people in the group were dating people in the group and you weren't allowed to bring the problem outside of sharing time and you weren't allowed to supposedly talk about it outside sharing time. So like, let's say there's two people in the group. Let's say their names are Tony and Catherine. If Tony was cheating on Catherine, he'd be like, I also cheated on Catherine this week. Catherine can't be mad once the sharing time is done because real Catherine would have never known this if sharing time wasn't a thing. So it was like this. That's toxic. It's so toxic. And another toxic thing, my significant other was not inside the sharing time. But Catherine's roommate was helping my significant other consistently cheat on me for like two years. And I wasn't allowed to be mad about it because I wouldn't have known if she wouldn't have told me during sharing time. So I wasn't allowed to react. And this is like things that were happening in this friend group. Right. So this sounds fucking wild, right? Yikes. The yeah. rule was you weren't allowed to have secrets outside of the group of friends because that's how friendships fail. They said, okay. Friendships only become toxic when you have secrets or power trips. But if all of us are our most vulnerable and we all have everyone's shit out on the table at all times, no one has more power than anyone else in the friendship. And we're all just at level zero and we all can just be happy. Um, uh, you know how you said (laughs) that you wanted to be in a cult? I was, I think. (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, that's a little culty. So funny story. I'm the only one in this group of friends that is not in this group anymore. They are all still friends. Isn't that even weirder? That's yeah. Um, yeah, they're all still friends concerning. And, um, (laughs) there's a lot of other weirder things that happened in this group of friends. That's like the borderline simplest thing. But they all used this little sharing thing as blackmail and they would treat each other like shit. And like, I look back at it now and it's horrifying and it's judgmental and it's gross. But like at the time I was like, yeah, this makes sense because all my other friends, I hear them talk shit about each other behind each other's backs. But these friends are literally talking shit to you about you to your face. So it's great. You know how everyone feels it all the time. No, no, no. It's not how like humanity works. Nope. Nope. Your brain. So I think I was in a mini Scientology group, and I didn't know it, or a mini cult. Yeah. Yep. So. But isn't Scientology like actual? I'm not blaming or <laughs> defending anyone. Not trying to be anyway. Um, like actual therapists, or no, and we'll get into that. Okay. Not all of them. You get your own therapy, like almost license in a sense, but it's not a license through Scientology and you become a thing called an auditor by becoming clear. Okay. Which we'll explain. So I'm glad you brought that up. Because like it's highly fucking illegal Mm -hmm. if you were an actual therapist. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. You you, you literally can't. So, so if any of your friends ever want to have a thing called a sharing time or like if they call each other, the circle of friends back out now, you've learned your life lesson for me as someone who is now in their older years. (laughs) older years i would suggest not having friends okay (laughs) not having friends nope it's not doing that it's like a tiktok that i saw today where it was like the what are you gonna do in 2023 and it's like the cards against humanity card yeah and the card flipped over and it said make adult friends and she said (laughs) nope (laughs) yeah that that sounds about right So Scientology is considered a new religion. It only came about in the 1950s, but it has a really strong following with very intense leaders and even more intense members. According to the members, the ultimate goal is the spiritual enlightenment and freedom for all that we talked about. And that was part of what the founder wanted the basis of the religion to be. So the founder of Scientology is a man named L. Ron Hubbard. He devoted his entire life to finding answers to questions in life. And when he developed the concept of Dianetics, he created Scientology, the new religion to control the masses and their bank accounts. L. Ron Hubbard's work on Dianetics and Scientology has more than 5,000 writings and over 3,000 recorded lectures. I like the word Dianetics, though. It's fun to say. (laughs) Dianetics. Dianetics. It sounds like something you would do in the 80s while working out. Yeah, it does. It sounds like a fad diet. Yeah. So who is this man? Lafayette Ronald Hubbard. <laughs> <It's> always Southern. Because <laughs> the word Lafayette is Southern. It's not. I. It's not Southern one bit. It sounds like it should be, though. So Lafayette Ronald Hubbard. He goes by L. Ron Hubbard. We're going to call him Hubby. I'm kidding. <laughs> We're going to call him Hubbard. <laughs> Hubbard was an only child born in Tilden, Nebraska to Harry Ross, a former U.S. Navy officer who was in the newspaper and who was a newspaper employee at the time. Fun fact for you guys. Harry Styles is very handsome. Ross Lynch is very handsome. They are both on my celebrity crush list. And Harry and Ross, this man's name is Harry Ross, were the same clone. I found out today. (laughs) (laughs) It was literally (laughs) so off topic. Harry Ross. No. Harry Ross. No. Then his mother's name was LaDora May. Love that name. That is really pretty. Hello, I'm LaDora May. Of course, she's Southern. You knew she's Southern. You knew she was going to be Southern. (laughs) Just waiting for it. (laughs) She was a former teacher. So Hubbard was born on March 13th, 1911. He's a Pisces. He shares a birthday with, and I thought this one was cool. I did this in the past. If two people from the same show, I did it with Stranger Things. William H. Macy and Noel Fisher, which is Frank and Mickey from Shameless. So they share a birthday. That's kind of cool. And uh, that's National Donald Duck Day. That's weird. It's a weird day. In 1913, the Hubbard family, uh, he the Hubbard family kind of like moves him around. All right. Keep that in mind. He is an army child doesn't have really child. real real roots no Correct. real roots no real roots hubbard moved with his maternal grandfather also named lafayette waterbury in calypso clips cal cali spell hmm. cali spell <laughs> calypso <laughs> I, the letters looked right but then i realized they are very off Mom, i don't know Kalispell, Montana. Sure. In 1914, the the rest of the Waterbury family moved out to Helena, Montana. So like now his parents joined them because remember his dad was in the military. So that's part of the reason the family purchased some land and they had a ranch there named the Old Homestead. So this ranch was large, but we don't know how large it was because documentation wasn't that great in Hubbard's youth. So, he would all the time tell people about how big his farm is. He would say that the farm, the old homestead, was a quarter of the size of the state of Montana. No, it obviously was not. So, it's massive. So, that's the beginning (laughs) of the lies. And I was like, how? Montana's like big. Montana's real big. I was like, how big? How big is that? Right. So, Montana is 147,040 square miles. Okay. And I was like, well, how? No, I need an acre. How big is that? That's 94 million acres. Yeah. So Ron, no. <laughs> Ron saying they owned a quarter of the state, was saying that his family owned 35,000 square miles or the equivalent of 22,400,000 acres. Yeah. What yeah. would you even do with it? You, you, you wouldn't. Like you, you can't. You physically not, could not. It doesn't it no doesn't, it. Nah, Mm-mm. I'm going to call bullshit. His father rejoined the Navy in April 1970 during World War One, and his mother worked as a clerk for the state government. After his father rejoined the military, they started moving around a lot by being a military child and having his father move the family. He would claim he was a well-traveled man. He said he went all over the world and he learned things all the time by doing it. But it was actually due to his parents moving him, not self-exploration, which is how he like portrayed it. He'd be like, oh, you know, I just I felt the need to go there and learn something. And it's like you were seven and your father moved. I was going to say you were like 12. (laughs) Like what? But you'll learn that Hubbard is a man of like I there's a phrase that I'm trying to find here and I can't think of what it is you talk with a silver tongue that's made of snakes yes a snake tongue made of silver a silver snake tongue that you. no i think you got it right the first time you put in your mouth (laughs) something like that he does that though yeah hubbard's family moved to california washington washington dc virginia and a lot of other places like it was all over the place anytime his father was stationed and moved the family was moving around with him Hubbard then became a Boy Scout while growing up. He claimed that when he was 13, he became the youngest Eagle Scout ever in history. However, again, records of the ages of kids were not kept at that point. So it's unknown if that's true or not. But that's something that could have been true. But it really doesn't make that big of a difference. It's just kind of like a flex. So, yeah, possibly bragging rights, but nothing too substantial um hubbard was a student in school he claimed that he was a student of a specific person right he claimed that while he was being taught things it was being done by an american naval officer in vienna named commander joseph thompson who had taught hubbard about sigmund freud the freudian theory and how to study psychoanalysis Again, this seems like a lie. He's a little young to be learning this kind of stuff. But weirdly enough, there was a man named Commander Joseph Thompson who really was on a base. Okay, but we can't figure out if they were on the base at the same time, if they really did have ties or whatever. But that man really did study with Sigmund Freud, which is another thing. So I think what he's doing is he's pulling enough of the truth and then enough of I can, you know, go above and beyond to where it's kind of like, we can't tell. It's believable it's because there isn't enough to discredit it. Discredit, yeah. In 1925, Hubbard's father got stationed overseas. So around, uh, or sorry, in the States. So around 14 years old, Hubbard enrolled at a freshman at Union High School in Bremerton. But then the following year, he studied at Queen Anne High School in Seattle. He's all over the place. Like, I'm, I'm trying to... Make it just so that you guys can tell as the lies stack up. That's why we're going through it like this. In September 1927, while living with his grandparents back in Montana, because his parents got stationed in Guam, Hubbard enrolled at Helena High School, where he contributed to the school newspaper. That is important because Hubbard likes to write. We putting a pin in it? If you want to, he a slight pin? Yeah. Like, half a pin. Why don't you kind of like thread the pin through it, but don't don't like, you know, don't go too intense. Okay. Hubbard was also exposed to Native American teachings, he said, when he was younger while living in Montana. Um he will tell stories about the person that taught him these, how it was a chief. He talks about the tribe, he talks about everything because it was making him seem like he was someone that was really well-rounded by learning about all these different teaching stylings and these teaching methods, because he's learning from all these different schools, all these different places from the Sigmund Freud guy from these. Um, I'm not trying to be offensive, but how they thought of them like these wild indigenous tribes, because that's what they thought they were back then. Um, so to them, they're like, wow, like look at him learning all these special ways. The He is so vastly skilled beyond his years which if these were true that would be true yeah but the issue is these are lies he's a liar <laughs> like, so the l means liar not mm-hmm. anything else yeah mm-hmm. it wasn't loser it was liar gotcha by 1927 hubbard's parents while still being in guam um they said that hubbard had his wealthy grandfather. Pay for him to go and take a trip to Asia to learn and explore. Hubbard said when he was a teenager, he went and headed overseas. So here's the story that he gave. By the age of 19, he had traveled more than a quarter of a million miles and traversed much of China and India. Through the course of it, he became one of the few Western adventurers to enter forbidden Tibetan. Lamasurs. Is that an L? Yeah. What is that? Llama series? I think so. Am I wrong? I thought it was an I. So I thought it was M. Yeah. It is an L. And L- is it spelled? It's is a it? monastery. That's what I figured it of was. Llamas. No. But it's not spelled llamas like that. It's L A M A S. Which is an honor for a Tibetan Buddhist shrine of reincarnated Lama, like the Dalai Lama. Oh, OK. OK, that makes sense. Now we know. OK, forbidden Tibetan Lama series in the western hills of China and study with the last in the line of royal magicians from the court of Kublai Khan. Kublai Khan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah there was so many words (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, yeah. (laughs) um the reason why it's in like he 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 instead of him being like i said this it's because he told them the stories and they wrote it for him so just so you guys know but it wasn't third yeah it was third person so that's kind of the version he's telling them of what happened when he went to asia by the age of 19 Mm hmm. Well, that that part is true. He he did go when he was like 18 through 20 ish. Like it was a very young age because his parents were stationed. So he was going during that time. Mm mm-hmm. um, He also said while overseas, he helped teach English and he found a job in a photo studio and he was taking photos of villagers and selling the photos to the National Guard while learning of ancient Buddhist traditions, ancient Chinese and Japanese cultures. I still need to know more about Tibetan Lama series. I'm sorry. That's all you get. <laughs> Dalai Lama, (laughs) Dalai Lama. That's I mean, that's what it's about. So he's saying all these things, right? But then a few years later, like things aren't recorded very well unless you keep a journal, which if you're going to be this man, you probably shouldn't keep a journal because they get caught in lies. (laughs) Yes, they found Hubbard's journals. And while he was overseas, it is a wildly opposite view as all of this. He was super racist. He was super unhappy. He was super miserable. He complained the entire time when he was in another country. He made comments that people overseas were smelly, that they were like dirty, that they were, you know, just mean. He was mean because America's so great apparently. Okay. So That's what he's telling his journal. But then he's like, oh, my gosh, I was learning from these beautiful people with their beautiful traditions. Mm -hmm. So he's also not just a liar. He's um, an asshole. A piece of shit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hubbard's mother started educating him. And when he then came back, he went to the George Washington University in the following September. From 1930 to 1931, Hubbard attended the university where he studied engineering, different types. His father was the one that picked his studies, though, and Hubbard was doing poorly in school. His grade average was a D. But records say it was more due to him giving up and refusing to try, not him, like, actually failing. They think if he would have put forth the effort, he could have done a lot better. He didn't actually try. Yeah. In his first year of college, though, he did try for one thing. He said he wanted to organize the University Glider Club. And then he was elected president. Go team. <laughs> Glider club? Airplanes, things in the air. He was also really into like aerospace and like th- things that could fly. I can't remember where I heard it, but I did hear a story about him one time and how he like helped build um, kind of like rattle market type rattle Mockets. <laughs> It just came out so naturally. It was very natural. Model rockets (laughs) and a special type of thing where it's like almost like a parachute balloon type thing where it like goes up and then it parachutes down and stuff. Yeah. He did that kind of stuff. So Hmm. he actually was pretty clever, I guess. Well, after two years of college, Hubbard dropped out. Hubbard later said that he had also been a student in the first course in atomic physics in the country and that he received an honorary Ph.D. But one weird thing is he never actually got like a high school diploma, people said. So that seems really unlikely. You know who he (laughs) reminds me of? Who? Dr. Death. Yes. All the lies. Just all the lies. Left and right. He's doing them. Which is uh, Christopher Dunch? For those of you that don't know, we have an episode yes. on him. In in the archives? In the archives. <laughs> That's where it is. And that one is a fun time for a special reason. Kylie, why is it fun? Because I wrote it. <laughs> she sounds miserable. <laughs> I hated it. Um, yeah. Kylie's the host of that episode and she did all the research and all the everything. So if you ever want to not hear my voice for... A little less time. That's the one. (laughs) I still talk a lot. (laughs) Yeah, you do. So Hubbard would go on to say that it was all false and that he actually purchased the diploma from a diploma mill in California, his PhD diploma. Diploma mill. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I think he only came clean and fessed up to that because he was getting caught. Because he got caught. That's usually what happens. Yeah. His lies follow him around all the time, though. It's really hard to say what is and isn't real. And Scientology reports and outlets and like anything you read that is written by someone in Scientology about L. Ron Hubbard, they only mention the good thing, whether it's lies or not. But they only do that. They literally always paint him as a golden statue. Like that's the only way to describe it. Like he lied about all of these things, but he did really go to Asia. Yeah. So (laughs) take everything. Try and sort it out yourself. Take it all with like a grain of salt, though, because that's that's the only Only way you can do it. So Hubbard gave his official biography to members of the Scientology, like religion, and then they wrote it. So the official biography of Hubbard actually talks about him. His first action on leaving college was to blow off steam by leading an expedition into Central America. In the next few years, he headed three, all of them undertaken to study savage peoples and cultures to provide fodder for his articles and stories. Between 1933 and 1941, he visited many barbaric cultures and yet found time to write 7 million words of published fact and fiction. So there is no concrete evidence that Hubbard made these trips to Central America, but he tells everyone he did and he has all these stories, so I'll just tell one of them. The story goes, in June of 1932, Hubbard organized a trip to the Caribbean for the exploration of pirate strongholds, and bivacs of the Spanish Maine. The trip ran out of money a third of the way through, though, so most of the team returned to the U.S., but Hubbard didn't. Trying to fix his life, Hubbard's father volunteered him for the Red Cross relief effort on October 23, 1932, so Hubbard traveled to Puerto Rico, but then decided to bail on the volunteer work before it even started. And he hitched a ride with a mineral surveyor in an attempt to find some hidden gold. Because it's always about money. <sighs> so when he returned from Puerto Rico to Washington, D.C., it was February 1933. Right. So we do know that he came back from there, but we don't really know what happened Or anything, or at least he came back from somewhere. We don't technically know it was Puerto Rico, but we know it was somewhere, so. You say that weird. Puerto Rico. It's just fun to say. Puerto Rico? Puerto Rico, yeah. Puerto Rico. I can't say it that way. It's uh, how Selma Hayek says it in a movie. She said it like once, one time in a movie, and I was like, oh. I'm saying it that way for the rest of my life. That's a good time, Puerto (laughs) Rico. If I could roll my R, it'd be a little sexier, but I can't. So Puerto (laughs) Rico. Can't do that. Nope. (laughs) so he came back in february 1933 and he returned to washington dc and he struck up a relationship with a fellow glider pilot from his little groupling called mary louise Grubb. she was nicknamed polly okay that makes sense yeah (laughs) he also began having a career as a struggling writer being a penny writer which a penny writer is exactly as it sounds you get a penny for your writing type things Mm -hmm. okay on April 13th, 1933, the two got married. So he returned in February. In April, they got married. Okay. Pretty fast. But this is the 1930s. So when him and Polly got married, Polly was actually already pregnant, of but course. she ended up having a miscarriage. Oh, never mind. On <laughs> <laughs> but she got pregnant again real fast. And on May 7th, 1934, she gave birth to a premature son named l ron hubbard jr of course they nicknamed him nibs that's weird nibs nibs why nibs why i don't know i feel like if i say <laughs> it more it'll sound natural but it's not it's sounding worse yeah okay nibs 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 then they had a second child katherine may who was born january 15th 1936 only about two years later The family lived in Maryland. They really struggled with poverty because Hubbard's writing was not taking off. It wasn't long, though, before he did become like well-known, at least, because Hubbard did this thing. He did quantity over quality method, and he just started like flooding his writings out into the world so that people had no choice but to pick up his writings and start reading it, because if he just keeps writing enough, he'll eventually get paid enough. Right. Like eventually they'll start picking up. I mean, he's not completely wrong. He's not I I like I I get it. It's that whole like thought process throw stuff at the wall and it'll stick. It's like throwing content as what people do today. Yeah. So, the throwing stuff at the wall until it sticks. I thought that was an idiom and then it got me started on this path of idioms when I was writing this episode and I got another like little funny quid bit for you y'all. So, I was at work and this was now almost like a month ago. So because doesn't work when they're at work. <laughs> yes, I do. OK, we were talking about idioms and someone said, oh, yeah, because you don't know how to do them. And I was like, what do you mean? I don't know how to do an idiom like you just say something. And they were like, yeah, but like idioms are a certain phrase and you don't know what the phrases are. And I was like, you can kind of just say whatever you want. And they were like, no, you can't. Idioms are very specific things. So I was trying to think of things that I say wrong, and I've compiled a list of a few of them. I quite often say, it's okay, there's plenty of fish to fry. What you're supposed to say is, it's okay, there's plenty of fish in the sea. I didn't know that's where it goes. That one just sounds kind of normal, right? They get worse the further we go. I often say, a bird in the hand is worth half a dozen. That is two different idioms. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And six in one way, half a dozen in the other. Because what I said doesn't make sense. I've never even heard that one. Another one. I say a picture is louder than words. (laughs) A picture is worth a thousand words. Actions speak louder than words. Those are very different things. Very different. Uh, I say it's like comparing arms and legs. No, the phrase is comparing apples to oranges. (laughs) Arms and legs? Or it's comparing or it's. Costing an arm and a leg. But I'll say it's comparing arms and legs. Nope, those are two things. Um, I have said many times, don't cry over chickens before they hatch. No, it's don't cry over spilled milk and don't count your chickens before they hatch. Right. <laughs> and then this one, I said that day. So everyone talked about it. I said, if you kill two birds, you get a free lunch. <laughs> Was... Was was food on your mind? No, I was trying to say kill two birds with one stone. But then somehow I mixed it with there's no such thing as a free lunch. So I said kill two birds for a free lunch. I worry about you sometimes. I didn't know idioms have to be like specific. I thought you just kind of like threw words in a sentence. I feel like that's a different thing. What are those called? Um, Not. Not knowing how to speak the English language. (laughs) Okay. So it was just really funny because then I was trying to create an idiom for this thing. And I was like, yeah, like, okay. So here's what the basis of my idiom is going to be. And I was telling this to someone and they were like, you can't just like create idioms. And I was like, isn't that the point of them? And they were like, oh my God, like, you are so smart, but you are one of the dumbest people I've ever met. (laughs) It's like, I get that a lot. Like a little too often. Yikes. And also last night, Kylie, I would like you to know, and Corey and Chris, I was laying in bed and someone randomly said, I found a meme that reminds me of you. Oh, God. And it's the exact meme I sent to Corey saying that it was me and him where it says, I know what you are. And it's like the Twilight meme. And they're like, say it out loud. And they go, you're autistic. (laughs) Someone sent it to me. (laughs) So. There you guys go. Yeah, I'm doing great. You might you might be just just a little slightly. So Hubbard was still attempting to create a literary career. So he he continued writing, just flooding the market with his writings. Right. One of his earliest published contributions was to the George Washington University student newspaper, because remember, I said he like wrote for the newspaper. It's what started getting him to want to do it. It was called the University Hatchet. Cool name for a paper. Yeah, it is. Oh my God, because George Washington had hatchets, like when he chopped down his trees and stuff. Oh, that's why it's called that. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was cool. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. So, although he was best known for his fantasy and science fiction stories, Hubbard wrote pretty much anything, any kind of genre. He wrote adventure, fiction, aviation, travel, mysteries, westerns, even romance. Once he started writing for Astounding Science Fiction Magazine, he began to make a little bit more money. He was making a penny a word at this point. So he just started writing about anything. But then he wrote this one thing. And then he, like, said this all the time from then on until, like, when he died. He said, you don't get rich for writing a penny a word. You get rich for starting a religion. Interesting. Hmm. Very interesting, right? Very telling. Yeah. Yeah. So Ron then had this really well-known world's most published and most translated author tagline that he kind of gave himself, but then it became true. He published over 1,084 fiction and nonfiction words. He was translated into 71 different languages. And his first work was published in February 1934, his last one in March, 2006. So like even in like almost present day, he also holds the Guinness World Record for the most published works. Isn't that crazy? You said words first, so just just to go back is 1084 fiction and nonfiction works, not words. I think I said works. No, but it's fine. I think I did. Maybe you didn't hear me. Okay. We'll I, go we'll go with that. Oh. oh. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> In the spring of nineteen thirty-six, the family moved to Bremerton, Washington again. Really all over the place. I've been there. It's really nice. Is it near Puget Sound?
1: Because no. his
0: dad gets stationed at Puget Sound a few <gasps> times. I would die. I would die. I would I would be in heaven. Happy dying. Happy means, dying, by the way. I love Puget Sound. So they lived with Hubbard's family until they could find their own family home. But remember, they're like really struggling with poverty. So That's why. So it's, you know, him, his his Polly and his two kids in 19. Polly's his wife. Remember, it sounds kind of like a bird when I say he's with his (laughs) Polly Polly. In 1937, Hubbard spent an increasing amount of time in New York, though. He said he was writing and he said he was working from hotel rooms. But his wife often suspected him of carrying on affairs with women. And it's more than likely true. Like there's there's no. I mean, he's already a piece of shit, so why not? Let's just add cherry adultery on top of there. (laughs) Cherry on top. Hubbard's first full-length novel, The Buckskin Brigades, was published, though. Buckskin Brigades. I bet it's a a root and toot and good read. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Hubbard applied to join the U.S. Navy. Part of his entry was due to a letter of recommendation that was describing Hubbard as one of the most brilliant men. OK, some people say that Hubbard wrote this letter himself and that there is evidence of it. But then some people say it's more the Congress neighborman story. So I'm going to tell you that one because there's more evidence of that because there is a paper trail of it. So unless he lied about the congressman guy, like, I don't know, it could be. But whatever. I'll just tell you the congressman story. OK. Hubbard lived in a house. The house had a neighboring house and that man had that house had a man living in it. So that was his neighbor. Right. That's how it works. That's how it works. His neighbor was a congressman. So Hubbard did not know that his neighbor was a congressman. He didn't like ask him how his day was and like ask him what he does for a living. But he did talk to him all the time. And as Hubbard does. He told him lies all the time. He would tell him about his world travels, his explorations, his learnings, his teachings, what he's seen, what he's discovered, how his father was in the military, how he's been on so many military bases, this and this and this, blah, 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 blah. Lie after lie. And this Conger guy is like Conger guy. (laughs) This congressman guy was like, oh, my God, this man's amazing. So. He personally wrote a letter to the president, Eisenhower, at the time and was like, this is the type of man we need in our military. So the president was like, you are right, sir, congressman. So Hubbard literally got to become part of the military because of this amazing background. And he instantly got brought on as a lieutenant. I don't like him. All because he told lies to his neighbor. Don't like it. And that's like not a starting position for those that don't know lieutenants right. up there. And like why wouldn't the congressman be like, "Oh, do you have any any photos? Any Well, and he also dropped out of college. He also potentially didn't even finish high school. Like right. there's also all these other issues here. At play here that just are odd odd like, to say the least, yeah. It's just a lot of lies on top. At what point do you start getting lost in the sauce of your lies? I don't get it. I, it that's his profession is lying well and i mean like he makes up stories for a living like that's what he does so it's got to be easy to just come up with things dear everyone Corey put up his baby driver poster right here directly across (laughs) from where i record that's because when he streams you can see it and i just have to (laughs) have kevin spacey staring into my soul the whole time we record every day and him and i make a lot of hard eye contact (laughs) My only other option is to have Jamie Foxx looking like he's about to murder me, pointing a gun at me. So it's kind of half a dozen, one way, six in the barrel. What about the is guy? What the saying is? I have no idea. <laughs> Don't ask me those well, things. Well, the guy's looking over there. Everyone else is looking that way. They're the only two staring at me. It's very intense. I'm sorry. It's OK. <laughs> so when Hubbard gets to be part of the military, they... Start finding out he's kind of full of bullshit, but he gets put on submarine duty. Yes. (laughs) Like all the time. Well, he gets sent to a submarine chaser training. And in 1943, he was posted to Portland, Oregon to take command of a submarine chaser called the USS PC 815. But it was under construction. So it wasn't supposed to be sailed, right? It's under construction. We understand what that means. Well, he decided, why not sail it? That's not how that works. So he sailed the PC-815 into Mexican territorial waters and conducted gunnery practice off the Coronado Islands. Coronado. Coronado Islands. And he said he believed they were uninhibited. And he also thought they belonged to the United States. So it wasn't a big deal. So you're an idiot. Well, the Mexican government complained that Hubbard was, you know, doing this. So he got relieved of his command post. A report was written after the incident and they rated Hubbard unsuitable for independent duties and lacking in essential qualities of judgment, leadership and cooperation. No kidding. After being relieved of his command from the PCA 15, Hubbard all the time kept saying he was sick, which, by the way, he gets taken off and on like four or five submarines over time. And most of the time they were not working or they were like under construction. And every single time he gets a report being like, he's not suitable for actually using for anything, but like, we just can't get rid of him. Like essentially that's kind of what's happening at this point. But he starts reporting that he's sick. He's citing that he has all these ailments. He has ulcers. He has malaria. He has back pains. He's struggling this way, this way. He was admitted to the San Diego Naval Hospital at one point for observation. He ends up staying there for three months. And in the end, the only things they say that were actual ailments was he had arthritis and conjunctivitis and some flu symptoms. So he had conjunctivitis. Yeah, I was going to say that's pink eye. (laughs) Yep, He had pink eye and the flu. Oh, and some arthritis from spinning all these webs of lies. Don't we all have arthritis? (laughs) So he started to again lie to numerous people throughout his life. He would say that his injuries, like he had a sore back and he really did have a sore back. Like that happens. Right. OK. But he's like, oh, yeah, it's from my war days. It's from being this war hero. My ailments are from the war. He always said he was a part of the war front and that he was really like a really important person in World War Two. Mm. So. OK. Hey, again, I got to talk about World War Two, though. <laughs> it's like the fourth one in a row. <laughs> I don't know why we're stuck in World War II, but we are somehow. In August of 1945, Hubbard moved to L.A. and he moved into the Pasadena mansion of a man named John Jack Whiteside Parsons. So everyone called this man Jack. He is a leading rocket propulsionary researcher at the California Institute of Technology, and he's the founder of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Smart man. It's a hard word, huh? A lot of hard <laughs> in a row. And they're all together. So Jack and Hubbard become friends. So Jack and Ron are hanging out, right? It's like the startup of a joke. Jack and Ron walk into a bar. Walk into a bar. And they're friends. Hubbard befriended Parsons. And he joined him in a black magic cult that he was a part of called the Ordo Templi Orientis. Sounds cool. So... Funny enough, Hubbard was in a cult. The Ordo Templi Orientis was an occult organization that believed in magic hypnosis, pagan beliefs, sex magic, rituals, and so much more. Now, what is the difference between a cult and an occult? Well, the occult is like the dark, in a sense. But he was in a, a cult that was centered around the occult. Does that make sense? hmm Oh, okay. So Parsons used his money to convert an old mansion into the group house. And that's what the Pasadena mansion was. And the residents that lived there were other pagans, artists, scientists, writers, and people that believed in the same stuff he did. And Hubbard ended up being one of those people. Keep in mind, he's still married to Polly. Who's still in Washington, right? I think so at this point. In the spring of 1946, Hubbard and Parsons performed a series of magic rituals with the aim of reincarnating the Thelmic goddess Babylon in a human being form. The whole thing became known as the Babylon working, and it's one of the most controversial events in Hubbard's pre-Scientology days. The project was based on the ideas by one other than Aleister Crowley, and his description of the similar project in the 1917 novel Moonchild, which, if you know Aleister Crowley, you know how wild this all is right now. Do you know Aleister Crowley stuff? I think so. Okay, We've talked about this, right? Mm-hmm. OK. So Polly and the kids are back home, like we talked about a minute ago. And they've been home this whole, whole time. He went away to war first and he's been gone. And then when he comes home, he doesn't even come home. He goes to L.A. To hang out in a magic sex cult with a man. And there isn't, like, phones. (laughs) So he, he's not. She's all worried and, like, (laughs) where's my man? What the fuck are you doing? Come home. I have kids. But, yeah, he's off on the mini magician cult thing. So (laughs) then he soon starts becoming sexually involved with his new good friend Parsons, 21-year-old girlfriend. Girlfriend. Not, not. Not not daughter or wife. Girl, girlfriend. Yeah. So he's friends with Parsons. He's living in Parsons house. They are in a magic cult sex thing together. But then he's like, I'm also Mr. Steal your girl. (laughs) Her name was Sarah Betty Northrup. What is with these nicknames that don't sound (laughs) anything like their actual names? So Sarah went by Betty Um, Hubbard was 13 years older than her, and he supposedly this is according to her persuaded her to fall in love with him with stories of how he was a well-traveled man and a war hero. That's that's what Betty told people. The lies. Amazingly well-traveled man. Now, don't worry. If you thought there was no romance in tonight's episode, it is super romantic how he proposes. Their engagement story is so cute. Hubbard was really scared that Betty would leave him, so he said, I'm going to kill myself if you don't marry me. So she felt obligated. I hate him. I hate him. Who fucking does that? Okay. <sighs> yeah. So he threatened to commit suicide unless Betty would marry him. So on August 10th, 1946, Hubbard bigamously married Sarah while still married to Polly and still living in the home of Sarah's boyfriend. Okay. It wasn't until 1947, so a year later, that his first wife Polly even found out that he had remarried. Like she didn't even know She was just raising their kids, not knowing that he's off with another woman. In Washington. Yeah. So (sighs) Hubbard agreed to divorce Polly in June of that year, and the marriage was dissolved shortly afterwards. Polly was given custody of the children. Obviously. (laughs) After Hubbard's wedding to Sarah, the couple actually settled down and they had a daughter. The daughter's name was Alexis. So after having another child, Alexis, you know, Hubbard took a short term job. And then he decided instead he's going to return to his writing career. In 1948, Hubbard and the second wife, Sarah, moved from California to Georgia, where he later claimed he worked as a volunteer as a lay practitioner in a local psychiatric clinic. What? Where did that come from? He doesn't have degrees. (laughs) And now he's a psychiatrist. And in letters to friends, he actually was publicly talking about the Dianetics at this point. But we don't realize that until later. Between 1949 and 1950, Hubbard moved to New Jersey and he got really serious about what he claimed was his next big discovery. And he started writing about it all the time. And that was Dianetics. He first published articles about Dianetics in Terra Incognita, the mind in the Explorer's Journal, which was another one of astounding science fictions. In April 1949, Hubbard wrote to several professional organizations to offer his amazing research, his research. He claimed that he knew what this Dianetics stuff was and that Dianetics was the hidden source of all psychosomatic ills and human aberrations. So he introduced the world to Dianetics in the 1950s. And oh boy, did he do something there? (laughs) It was bigger than MySpace, people. Like, it was a big deal dianetics was launched in that astounding may issue right uh on may 9th 1950 and then he had a companion book that came out called dianetics the modern science of mental health and that got published and sparks flew hubbard abandoned all of his other writing attempts in order just to write about dianetics and like promote dianetics he had written several books about it, and he delivered an estimated 4,000 lectures while founding the Dianetics Research Organizations. What is Dianetics? OK, Dianetics is. Are you ready, Kylie? I don't know. I, I don't know. All right. I explain this stuff as easy as I can, and I'm going to like pause and ask if it makes sense because it makes sense to you. I'm sure it'll make sense to them. OK, but it's a lot of back and forth. Dianetics is a spiritual healing process. It's the original mental health phenomenon that inspired the self-help movement. Dianetics explained is a simple process where the brain is sectioned into two parts, which will later become three. Okay, one of the parts records everything and stores it like a file cabinet, and those are memories. These moments, memories, experiences—they're called the engrams or engrams. Whichever you pronounce it, and those stay with us. Now, some engrams are negative in nature, so we have to resurface them and get triggered with them so that we don't accidentally get triggered with them and become toxic in nature and become unclear as a person. So we have to clear ourselves and purposely trigger ourselves to get rid of these, to help alleviate ourselves of the engrams and unclear ourselves. So how do we do that? We're going to audit. Makes sense so far? Yes. Okay. So auditing is what Dianetic therapy is. So we'll explain what the auditing process is. This is that therapy thing you're asking about. We said in Dianetics, the goal is to rid the mind of the engrams. And to the individuals that are said to have these engrams removed, they're clear. That's like the phrase, they're clear. So let's let's give everyone some names. I, Thina, am going to be an auditor. So it means that I am clear because I have went through this and I've done it and I'm healthy. I'm safe. I'm clear. My mind is at ease. I've ascended to the highest level of Dianetics at this point. Okay. now I'm going to bring on some new people, Corey and Kylie. So Corey and Kylie will be my patients and I will be an auditor. So I would assume that Corey and Kylie are filled with Ingrams and you guys need to be corrected. I would ask you guys about what they are and things like that. And you have to tell me, and they can be memories, but they can also be ailments. So Corey could say, you know, like, oh, my mother passed away when I was five. Okay, that's an Ingram because something could trigger that and he will have a negative reaction. Kylie could say, I have headaches. Okay, well, somewhere down the line, you had such a bad headache that it convinced you that this pain in your head turned into a headache And now you have headaches and it's really just stemming back to that original headache that you thought you had back in the day. So let's get rid of those thoughts of headaches and you'll never have them again. We're getting a little loopy already, see? A little bit. A little far-fetched. So I'm going to correct your guys' engrams. So me, the auditor, Athena, would ask Corey and Kylie, a.k.a. the patients who are pre-clears, because you guys aren't clear yet, I would ask you guys to come sit down with me and recall and re-experience any of your traumatic memories to become re-stimulated with them in the present, even though they happened in the past and they are a past Ingram. But we're going to re-stimulate them to the present so we can erase them and store them in a different mind bank. Because, again, you have mind banks, apparently, where you can store things, file them away. Now, the success of this auditing session would depend on my ability as the auditor to maintain control over the pre clears and their memories. The complete file of all the memories of an individual that we go back in is called a time track. So every time you guys are relieving a new Ingram, I'll say like, OK, that's like a new time track we're starting. And we'll do that for every single one. <laughs> Yikes. It's getting messier the longer I talk about it, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. So Hubbard believed the mind was actually divided into three parts. The conscious analytical mind, the subconscious reactive mind, and the somatic mind. The goal of Dianetics is to erase the content of the reactive mind by putting it in the analytic mind so that you can like analyze it. It's in there. It's great. You'll no longer use it as a reactive, triggering, stimulating thing. You just know the knowledge of it. Yeah. Like that kind of makes sense. Kind of. If we ignored the past three paragraphs I read and then we just said go to therapy and then this part, again, we're, we're sounding decent. Hubbard claimed that when a person was audited to the point where all the subconscious reactive memories were now put in the analytic memory banks, they would achieve a new state of being clear and they will never again suffer the effects of the reactive mind. So Corey's mom passed away when she was four, is what I said. That didn't really happen, by the way, everyone. So uh, you already already changed it. So it's fine. (laughs) What was it originally? Five. Oh, damn it. So that's the story, right? So Corey will time track with me and we will talk about this. So then supposedly when this is done and he's clear cuz he sorted that memory into a new mind bank, he'll never feel sad about it, upset, he'll never get triggered by it. He will never have a bad memory about that moment in his life or any of the memories regarding that ever again because it's stored correctly now. Okay. It it doesn't work like that even when you like hypnosis i don't think it works that well or that way so i'm gonna say i don't believe in the dianetics right now (laughs) that's where i'm going with this yeah i can agree with that because talking about it yes therapy that works theory of it but it doesn't mean you don't have triggers and things that still reoccur the thought so it just doesn't um compute correctly yet Now, the theory is, is that if a person is complaining of a somatic something in the present example, like Kylie's headache, I said. So if if she has a somatic problem, a headache, a leg pain, leg pain, a sore back, anything like that, it's all tracing back to a time track of an earlier memory of an experience in which there was an actual injury to her head in re-stimulation. So by getting the patient a.k.a. Kylie, to recall all headaches that she progressively earlier had in time tracks until the basic or earliest memory of a headache chain is reached, she will therefore, in the end, once she gets all the way there, the headache should vanish and she won't have it ever again. So Mm. that's dynetic Therapy. (laughs) I kind of like the somatic almost, almost, almost. It's so close to working in some spots, but then you hear it as a whole and it doesn't. Well, it's almost like a placebo effect. Yeah. Almost. Because you're like tricking your brain to think that you're okay. Which we all know what the placebo effect is because that one really great It's Always Sunny episode. Oh my God. Where, where, uh... (laughs) he takes the placebo pills and he thinks he can speak mandarin so that's not how placebos work it is okay (laughs) so dianetics was an immediate hit and everyone flocked to it because it's sounding decent when you don't dive too hard into it because it's like essentially they're saying go to therapy and the therapy will work and then you'll never be sad again or have problems again well, when you hear it like that, you're like, shit, It's like vague enough to be like, well, it didn't really work for me. Like, well, you didn't really actually try Do hard it. enough yeah. because it's therapy. It's on you. Yeah, it's you are the issue, not it didn't work. So you got to keep putting money and effort into it. And it's almost like a hypnosis type because you'll start to believe, oh, maybe it is working. Like it's a weird hypnosis-y, therapy, placebo-y, guilt-trippy thing. Do you believe in hypnosis? No, but I know a lot of you motherfuckers do. We've talked about this before. I want to believe, but I don't think I do. What, like, you don't believe that it works or you don't believe that you can actually go into hypnosis? The amount of times we have had this exact hypnosis conversation. I don't think we have. No, I know for a fact we have. We talked about it in Betty and Barney Hill for the first time, I think, even. Oh. Um, I believe that if you want to believe it will work, you will placebo yourself into thinking it worked. I don't think it can work otherwise. So hypnosis, let's say. All right. Here's my theory on hypnosis. The, the hypnosis, you're going to a casino bar and a di- guy does hypnosis and he makes you believe you can cluck like a chicken on the stage. Y'all are full of bullshit. All right. The other kind of hypnosis, Kylie has entomophobia. Enemotophobia. (laughs) Enemotophobia. pucophobia. Okay, that's not (laughs) emetophobia. Yes, she has that. And she wants to get hypnotized so that she does not get triggered by it anymore. I think that you are tricking yourself into it. I don't necessarily believe that's hypnosis. I think it is restructuring your brain to think of a situation differently. I don't consider that hypnosis. I think you're just training your brain i guess that would be considered hypnosis but i don't think it is like i guess i don't really know what the definition is of hypnosis it just seems like a sketchy thing it might be a little sus so but the thing with this you're you're right about the whole placebo and everyone kind of like falling for it it's to the part where some people did kind of like catch on and they were like yeah maybe it is like a Just a thing. They start calling it a nationwide cult of incredible proportions. A man named Martin Gardner goes on record saying that. But at the same time, Hubbard was going on tours. He's speaking out. He's writing. He's teaching. He's talking. He's becoming a sensation, which I feel like adds into that effect of you wanting to believe because everyone around you is believing and everyone else is seeing these results. So that makes you believe harder. And if you aren't having the results, you think you're the problem, not that it's the problem because there's no way everyone else had the same therapy. I'm quoting, and and y- didn't get it. Yes, the and first time you wonder how many of those people are going along with it because they see other people and you the FOMO of it, the FOMO, the fear of missing out. <laughs> yeah, the FOMO of it. <laughs> um. While this is all happening, it's not all good things. People are talking shit as they do. You know, it's not all silver linings playbook. Some of Hubbard's fellow science fiction writers criticized him and his whole teachings, calling it gibberish or a lunatic revision of Freudian psychology, which is kind of odd because remember he said he learned Freudian psychology at a young mm-hmm. age. So maybe he did. Okay. He's just faking it until he makes it. At this point, his wife spoke out about how people are paying really large sums of money up to five hundred dollars just to learn about Dianetics. And they're doing that multiple times in a row which in the 1950s, which is when when we're at in this point still, $500 is the equivalent to $6,000 plus in today's standards. So they're, they're paying like $6,000 just to go to speak or hear a speaker talk about Dianetics. And you're still not even in on it. You're not even learning it. You're just learning about what it is. It's so weird that that amount of money equals $6,000 because my grandma was born in 1944. Mm-hmm. And she has lived through all of that, but now pays, you know, for like a thousand dollars for a new cell phone. Like that has to be insane of a concept for her. Yeah. But she probably I don't feel like you notice it. No, because like just we fluctuate. don't yeah. like we notice like, wow, I have noticed recently that hundred dollars gets me half a day versus when I was in like just got my license So when I was 16 and in high school, a hundred dollars could last me the whole day, which I've noticed that, too. Or I'll notice the small things. I'll be like, oh, my God, I'm buying my new phone and it's it's eight hundred dollars. And I was like, damn, I remember when I bought a brand new phone and it was like three, two hundred and fifty dollars. And I thought that was expensive. Yeah. And it's not until you put that perspective in. Cause well, I could go shopping, get like three new outfits, go to Olive Garden, and come home. Still fill up your tank. Still fill up my tank for gas, and still be home and have twenty dollars left over. Yeah, I remember when I was in high school, and when my friends and I wanted to go do something, we would be like, "Oh, like let's go drive to the neighboring town and go watch a football game, or let's go like hang out with friends in a neighbor town." Because I didn't have friends in my high school because I was a transfer student, and so. That was the thing. And we would be like, oh, shit, do we really have enough money to get there and back? And we're like, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, let's ask. Let's ask. Mom, we really want to go. Can we please borrow five dollars? Because that'll get us two tanks of gas or two tanks. That'll get us two gallons of gas. And that's more than enough to make it there and back. Yeah. And we thought that was like big spending asking for five fucking dollars. Yeah. Like that's wild. It's so weird. We're old. (laughs) But the weirder thing to me is they're only there or they are paying this money to go to the Dianetic lectures. So that's like me being like, okay, a Harry Styles ticket to go see a concert, let's say is like two thousand dollars. But I'm actually paying ten thousand dollars just to hear him talk about the set list, not actually perform the songs. If I want him to perform songs, I have to buy another ticket. I'm only buying the ticket to hear him tell me what songs he's going to play at the concert. I don't have tickets to like, OK, like, like that's what he's doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's because he's only weird. having you buy this entryway to Dianetics where he explains what it is. But, but you don't like, get it yet. Yeah, but he's like, but you didn't go through the therapy and you haven't done anything. So you're not in Dianetics. You just know what Dianetics is. Congrats. Isn't that fucking wild? Yes. So Polly's like, uh, you're full of fucking shit, bro. <laughs> She's like, yeah, we have all this money, but like, at what is it? It's 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 weird. It's wrong. I'm sorry. I called her Polly. It's Betty at this point. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to call her Polly. I hope everyone's still following. So Betty thinks that he's stealing from innocent people at this point. So she threatened to leave Hubbard because she thought he needed psychological help, and she tells him this. And she says he's developing a God complex and he's becoming really unhealthy. Yeah, I could see that. Well, I feel like he had a God, God complex from a day long, what? ass time ago when he was seven. He is like how every charismatic leader is they're charismatic, but they're also self centered. Jim Jones, uh, Koresh. Like, it, for any of you that don't even know that many cult leaders, the guy Kai from Cult, from American Horror Story. He's remember the scene where he's jacking off in the fucking locker room and he's staring that guy in the eyes. And he's like, I'll clean that one up myself because he knows the power trip he's doing. This is a weird conversation for you who've never seen it. You're like, what the hell are you talking about? All I can think about is Chad Michael Murray in Riverdale. That too. Cult leaders. Mm. Schmexy okay <laughs> you know he's hot you cult, know he's hot cult leaders no I have the ick from him he gave me the ick recently and I'm, I'm upset with him oh I'm sorry when they did the one tree hill reunion which by the way if I would have known that was happening I would have went there I have a one tree hill tattoo I love One Tree Hill. yeah um but he walked out to play basketball in timberlands and he scratched up the floor I'm like sir you're a celebrity I know you don't care about things because you have a bajillion dollars but not everyone does and people still have to use that floor to like play their little high school sports that gave me the ick that you don't care about normal people also he wore like denim jeans with holes in them to play sports and knowing that he was going to play sports i don't know you gave me the ick don't wear timberlands and jeans to go play basketball and you fucking i wouldn't bag. know I, that's something i would i don't. i wouldn't know he they were told they were going to go there and play basketball no i know but like He's not someone that plays basketball all the time. He did it in the show for 117 seasons. What did you just say? 117. 117. Yeah, it's a lot of numbers all at once. Okay, he did it a lot. Okay. Back to this. Betty is pissed, so she gives him this confrontation, and the confrontation supposedly didn't go well. Surprisingly enough. So Hubbard runs away to Cuba with their daughter Alexis. Cuba? Yeah. But, okay. But I'll 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 get into the Cuba thing. I gotta wait. I, I'm just like telling you now, but we'll we'll pop back into that in another paragraph. So the collapse of Hubbard's marriage was creating a lot of problems, and he had started having an affair before the runaway. This is all before, okay? He started having an affair with a 20-year-old public relations assistant in the nineteen fifties. So Sarah, his wife who is Betty, but she's going by Sarah now, but it's Betty. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Betty, the woman who's pissed at him. She actually started a relationship on the side too, with a Dianetics auditor named Miles Hollister. That (laughs) name. (laughs) It's a great name. It really is a good name. (laughs) (laughs) Hubbard was really pissed. So he denounced the couple and told the FBI about them. And, you know, at this point, Hubbard is not taken seriously. So in March of 1951, he like tells the FBI that they're doing illegal stuff, portraying them as communist infiltrators. That's what he does to his wife. Communist? Really? Yep. Well, the FBI literally was like, "No, okay, aren't you the same man that was firing (laughs) missiles in the Mexican territories? And you pretend? No, no, no. no. Walk away, Pink Eye." Three weeks later, Hubbard and two foundation staff actually seized Sarah and her daughter, Alexis, and took them to California because he was attempting to find a doctor to examine Sarah and declare her insane so he could have Alexis. This is again before he goes to Cuba. That didn't work. So that's when he gets pissed. The confrontation happens. He lets Sarah go. He steals Sarah. uh, He steals Alexis, the daughter, and he runs away to Cuba. While in Cuba. Hubbard realizes he doesn't know how to take care of Alexis, his daughter. No kidding. So he gives her to another woman who supposedly was either mentally challenged or handicapped. And that woman had a child and she couldn't even take care of that child. So they kept Alexis in a cage. In Cuba. Okay. All the while, would you like to know what Hubbard's up to? He is calling and writing to Sarah and telling her these crazy lies. like. I'm talking. He'll be like, so guess what I did today? I took Alexis. I beat her till she was dead. I put her body in a sack, filled it with concrete and threw it in the bottom of the ocean. She's dead now. And then two days later, he'll call her back and be like, just kidding. Alexis is still in the cage. It's fine. And then he'll call again and be like, so I murdered Alexis died today. And he keeps telling her all these fucking gruesome things. And Sarah didn't know if they were ever true or not. And they were these wild, exaggerated lies. Which I know is shocking that he would do that. Super shocking. But he was. But then he would apologize and say it was all made up. So Sarah, a.k.a. Betty, filed (laughs) for a divorce suit on April 23rd, 1951. That's so weird. Every single, like, major event in these stories are in April. Oh, what did you just say? I was going to say it was on your parents' birthday because I thought that was one of your parents' birthdays again. It is. April 23rd? April 23rd is not. Oh. April 3rd is, my dad. Okay, I was going to say, I feel like we've talked about in the Aprils. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, but seriously, every single event is in April. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of April's. Like, oh, a new year. It's time for some <laughs> shitty event to happen. Now, when Betty Sarah div- div- divorce filed suit, filed divorce suit. I can't say that phrase. Filed a divorce suit. Sorry. She accused him of marrying her bigamously, as if she didn't know. And she said that he subjected her often to sleep deprivation, beatings, strangulation, kidnappings, exhortions, and he wanted her to commit suicide. Hmm. Okay. Um, So this case of their divorce actually kind of went big and it led newspaper headlines to like print things saying, Ron Hubbard's insane, says his wife. Nice, but like again, he's trying to lead this spiritual movement about like all man is good men, right? And we're bettering right. ourselves. Meanwhile, his wife's like, so he strangled me every night and kidnapped my daughter and took her to Cuba and left her in a cage, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that? mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's good, right? Though, like that's any publicity is good publicity. It's good. Okay. Sarah finally secured the return of their daughter and got full custody in June of 1951 by agreeing to a settlement and printing out the statements saying that she exaggerated and falsified everything she said about Hubbard. He was actually a brilliant man. Now, that kind of makes me think that that letter situation could have been a lie. Just that with the congressman. It makes me a little questionable. Yeah. But I don't know. So Hubbard took the money out of all their joint bank accounts and everything. And Sarah was left with nothing except for her and Alexis. But she was fine with that. And she left. Hubbard took all this money. And did nothing with it. He squandered it. (laughs) When it rains, it pours. Hubbard was dealing with the divorce, losing custody of his child. He burned through a lot of the money with Dianetics because he was supporting himself through Dianetics. Even though he was making a ton of money with with Dianetics, he was also spending it just as fast. So Dianetics appeared to be on the edge of a total collapse. But it was saved by a weird, 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 a rich man. (laughs) A weird, rich man, a rich, weird tycoon man. <laughs> it was a tycoon who had nothing better to do with his time and his money. So he he said, I'm I'm going to throw it at you, Ronnie. Ronnie. His name was Don Pearsall. He was a millionaire businessman and a dianeticist who agreed to support a new foundation in Wichita, Kansas. Their collaboration ended a, less than a year after it started they had a falling out about future directions of Dianetics because Hubbard was really hoping that Purcell would donate the money and then not ask any questions. But that wasn't the case because obviously that man like a wanted a more hands on approach as most billionaire tycoon men want. It really gives me the vibes of the Joe exotic thing when Joe sold the ranch to the bedazzled rhinestone butt cheek guy. Um, He didn't actually have bedazzled butt cheeks. It's his pant pockets. What what is this called? Like a like a butt cheek pocket, back pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wore like buckle bedazzled jeans and like Ed Hardy t shirts. I can't remember the guy's name. And so Joe Exotic's like, I'm gonna sell the ranch to that man. And since he doesn't know shit about ranches, I'll still be the main guy, and that guy will be my lackey. But then that guy's like, All right, we're reforming stuff. And Joe's like, Wait, what? And the man's like, Well, yeah, I spent a bunch of money. And Joe's like, But like no and that's what this guy's doing he's like wait a minute because you gave me a bajillion dollars you want me to do what you want like what it's usually how it works yeah when you buy things (laughs) so i don't i don't know why men think that if another man's gonna come bail them out of a money hole that they don't want something if someone gives you money they want something there's that yeah like 99.9 percent of the time However, so this Wichita Foundation had to file for voluntary bankruptcy in February of 1952. Hubbard re-signed immediately and accused Purcell of having bribed him by the American Medical Association to destroy Dianetics. Hubbard established a Hubbard College. Of course he did. He couldn't even complete college. Right. But moving on. (laughs) More power to you, my man. It was on the other side of town where he continued to promote Dianetics while fighting Purcell in the courts over the foundation's intellectual property. Now it's giving me the vibes of, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> They're my Gucci flip flaws, you know. And my Prada's at the cleaners. No. Oh my God. Justin Timberlake, Andrew Garfield, Jesse Eisenberg. I haven't seen it. Whatever you're saying. I haven't seen those three people in a movie together. Okay. So, six weeks after this whole intellectual property fighting stuff was happening, after setting up the Hubbard College, he married a staff member. Of course, he did. 18 year old. Okay. Mary Sue Whip. How old is he? A lot older at this point. <laughs> <laughs> like, like 40s. Um, okay. So. This is now 1952, and he was born, what, 1911, I think I said? Yeah. So about probably 40s, and she's 18. And he stays married to Mary Sue Whip until he passes away. Like, him and Mary Sue are endgame. Yes. Hubbard closed the whole college down and moved out with his new wife and his new bride-to-be woman-girl thing uh, to <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona. They established the Hubbard Association of Scientologists International. To promote his new science of certainty. Dot 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 Scientology. So officially The Hubbard Association of Scientologists International. Yep. It's it's giving Bigelow ass the best the best names. You just can't get more creative than that. It's called Hasi. (laughs) Hasi. That's what it would be. Hasi. Hasi. So we're finally to the birth of Scientology, officially. And we'll continue talking about it in part two. (laughs) Part two! It's a 2 It's a 2 All that just for us not to even talk about Scientology at all the whole episode. I mean, we did, though. We grazed. So, 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 there's a thing, right? Mm -hmm. This one's really funny. I was reading a website, all right? And I was, like, trying to find out if the website was credible. And... I had already done a few books, but I just like I wanted to know if I could maybe like tie in a few things. I ended up not using this website. Why, you wonder? Because I deemed it not credible. Why, you wonder? <laughs> they repeatedly kept calling his books the diabetics, <laughs> not the Dianetics. Like more than one. Diabetics? And I was like, is that even... <sighs> Oh, it is next to the end. It is. It is. <laughs> But I I was just upset and I said, I don't care if it's credible. I'm not going to use it. I'm over it. I'm done. Diabetics. Now. Very different things. Another crazy thing. We got to do this. This one's super fun. In 1949, a man named Nandor Fodor. Stop it. Do you remember that? I do. I do remember him. Nandor Fodor had his book published called The Search for a Beloved. For the Beloved, a clinical investigation of the trauma of birth and prenatal conditioning. The book discussed the telepathic connections between mother and the developing child within her. Plus a lot of other wild shit, but like it's super (laughs) irrelevant. And like when they describe it, it just sounds like mumbo jumbo. So I'm not even it's irrelevant. Whatever. Okay. It was published by Hermitage Press and a year later. So after Nandor Fodor published that book they published another book and that ended up being Hubbard's book, the diabetics, you know, the modern science (laughs) of mental health. Just kidding. It's Dianetics. So why is that important? Like, why does that even matter? I just think it's funny because the Nandor Fodor guy and um, Hubbard end up like kind of having like a little tie in together and stuff along with Alistair Crowley and all these other things. But then I was like Nandor Fodor, like Nandor Fodor. And I was like, That reminds me of Hodor. And I was like, wait,
1: (laughs) I've talked about this
0: man before. Where have I talked about Nandor Fodor before? So I started looking everywhere. Do you remember? Yeah. Okay. I didn't. But then all of a sudden it hit me. In the 1930s, a few years before Nandor Fodor wrote this book, he was one of the guys that investigated Jeff the Talking Mongoose, the cryptid. In the archives. Available in the archives. (laughs) Isn't that weird? Isn't that a weird it's tie? It's a small fucking world. Because nonetheless, that's a whole other country and stuff. Because when or Fodor traveled uh, to the Isle of Man or wherever it was. Yeah. And that was a stretch of him traveling. But now he traveled to this place for this book where this man traveled for the book. And now they're all traveling and everyone's traveling and being a traveling man. For a book. For a book and a mongoose. <laughs> I just thought that was an a an alleged, alleged mongoose. Alleged- i just thought that was the weirdest tie-in i've ever had between two episodes like i've had some weird tie-ins and stuff but i was like weird overseas cryptid about a talking mongoose meets the scientology guy right out of Mm. all the things that that could be connected to you wouldn't think it would be that damn Nandor, fodor (laughs) and that also ties in if you guys remember to them wanting to have a guy come out and that guy has a tie to Harry Houdini and Harry Houdini has a tie to the Winchester house. It all comes full circle. It's a small world. Small world. So we will resume. This episode was more about L. Ron Hubbard himself because you got to kind of know about him to understand how he created Dianetics. Dianetics is the creation of Scientology. So it's a step-by-step thing. And then we'll also talk about all the scary shit that happens in Scientology and Clearwater and everything and Ohio. So the history before the scary yeah. and then the mystery yep oh. but so we had it we had to kind of do that tonight so this episode was a lot of elron's life um what if i called him like leron elron leron i did think of a. a Ron when you said it <laughs> <laughs> i love that um but next part it will it'll get pretty fucking wild as most cults do i mean i'm i'm uh religions <laughs> how would i slip that in there Oh, of course, Re- religion, religion. So for my sources, I used the website Scientology, the actual Scientology website. They do have a lot of information there. I use the L. Ron Hubbard website. I used a do- d- documentary Going Clear Scientology in the Prison of Belief. It's on HBO Max. It is one of the best documentaries about like anything that I've watched in a long time. I've watched it multiple times at this point. It has a lot of real life interviews, a lot of people who left Scientology that now speak out about it and stuff. It just has a lot of good stuff. Um, I used the book Beyond Belief, My Secret Life Inside Scientology and My Harrowing Escape by Jenna McKayvich, Hill and Lisa Pulitzer. It's Pulitzer. Part- Pulitzer. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I said. You said Pulitzer. <laughs> Pulitzer. Or are you just being yourself and not? <laughs> pronouncing, emphasizing the the actual words. Um, it's a pretty sad book. Uh, also the book Dianetics: The Modern Science of Mental Health by L. Ron Hubbard. I got as far as I could. I I didn't even make it a like tenth into the book. I skipped around. It, it was rough. I also used the book What Is Scientology by L. Ron Hubbard. I use that more in the second part. And then the docuseries series, uh, Leah Remini: The Scientology and the Aftermath. Remini. Maybe. <laughs> I heard her say her name like 20 times. I shouldn't know it at this point. <laughs> so, yeah. woo. Part one. Down in the books. But guess Check what? Mark. Guess 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 what? what now? Guess what? Well, now we get to do something fun. Well, we get, what is what is that? We get to talk about the giveaway. Oh, the, giveaway? The, giveaway. The, giveaway. the giveaway! This time we have a giveaway winner. That is actually a fellow podcast, fun enough. They entered as a podcast and they won as a podcast. Go team podcast. It is at Crime Coffee and Crafts pod, which is the Crime Coffee and Crafts pod. <laughs> I it sounded like I just repeated it twice. Like I said, their Instagram handle and then I said who they are. But it's the same. I should put a bigger space. Well, that's how we are. We are at Cryptic Soup pod. Yeah, it is ran by Christian and Heidi. Awesome. I think I've talked to Heidi more. I, I think. Um, but they're they're a really fun podcast. They they also are slightly off the rails at times and just crazy That's and what makes they, podcasting fun. They have some pretty interesting episodes, though, is one thing I like about them. So I'm I'm pretty glad they won. They they are going to get some stuffs. So um we will uh talk in the DMs. One could say we might even um slide on in (laughs) yes we might (laughs) (laughs) so thank you guys for entering a lot of you guys entered and it was very fun we will be doing more fun things obviously all the time it's just what we do we're fun right we're fun you say it with more gumption i don't know i don't want to like yeah we're fun fun." podcasting (laughs) has taught me one thing about myself I hate more than anything on this entire planet. Like, I hate a lot of things, but top, top 10 most hated things in my life. My laughter. (laughs) It's real squeaky and rough. I don't like my laugh either. And when I listen to it, you know, in my speed that I listen to, it's even (laughs) higher pitched and squeaky. And I sound like. Like Fivel goes west or something. I love Fievel. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not. I'm not big on it. I'm gonna fake chuckle from now on. I'm gonna be like, "Ha ha, moving on." Ha, that's funny, hilarious. Ha 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 ha. ha. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be Dylan O'Brien and just say, "That's hilarious," and then move on. That's what he does. The more you know. But oh. but you you think things are funny. I won't anymore. ha Ha. 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 I'm trying not to laugh, so I'm saying that right. in place of the laughter. Ha ha ha. LOL. LOL. Now that'd be funnier if you're just like LOL, LOL, LOL. Kylie, that's a really good one. LOL, LOL, LOL. Okay, I'm over it. LOL. Okay. So, anyways, then they pulled out a knife. LOL. I want to do that though. So thank you guys to everyone that makes this podcast what it is. You guys are a big part of the CSP family. Big thank you to Corey, core.media.photography every week. Speaking of, how did anyone and everyone like the bonus episode that we just put out? Bonus! 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 bonus, bonus <laughs> that was fun. Walla, Walla, Walla. We should do things like that more often. Ha ha ha. R-O-F-L. What was that thing I read the other day someone said? <laughs> They said like, S. Yeah. S A O M N and I was like, what? Snorting air out of my nose, just no. (laughs) And I was like, stop! Lol. Same. No. So there's that. That's weird. Um. But uh, yeah, the bonus we had one and it was I liked it. I liked the bonus. I know the person that edited it personally. Do, do you know them? Are you sure? I did it. <laughs> <laughs> but on a normal episode, it's always our our little corn dog. So thank you, Corey, the corn dog. Please corridor. don't call him that. <laughs> Core. Media. Photography corn dog. every week. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at pod, where our DMs are always open for suggestions. So slide on in. You can also join the Facebook group, which is Cryptic Soup Pod Official. In this group, we post further updates on our lives or cases. So join us and hang out on the socials to stay up to date and be a part of the CSP fam. All of our links can also be found on CrypticSoupPod.com as well. And anyone that still hasn't checked out the Christmas episode, that's a really fun one. Uh, it's called Chris Moss. We didn't spell Christmas wrong. Don't worry. And <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> um, it's with Chris with... Junkies podcast. It was a really fun collaboration. Hopefully, we can get him back sometime. If you guys liked it, let us know. If you guys liked Chris, let us know. If you hated Chris, let us know. You can become arch nemesis with him. Nemesis is nemesis. <laughs> Would it be nemesai? Arch nemesai? No. Arch nemesis. He's my arch nemesis. Or like arch- they are okay, my well, what arch if I nemesis. Have multiple? If you and Corey are they both. They are my arch nemesis. I think arch nemesis sounds better. Okay. So anytime you guys leave Apple podcast review and rating, you will not be an arch nemesis. You will actually be a f- friend and we'll shout you out. Or if you leave a Spotify rating, but we won't shout you out because we don't know you did it. Cause it's anonymous. But if you tell us you did it, we'll do it. That's fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> Cause we're fun. fun. We're fun. <laughs> So guys, remember to subscribe, follow, tune in, keep up with us. And remember to join the conversation where we will see you next Tuesday for the next episode. Stay tuned. The word Scientology is taken from the Latin word socio. Like socio. 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 C-O. C-C-O. Socio. I can't tell if you typed it wrong or no, you're just that's fucking the up. word. I can't get it. My mouth isn't doing it. <laughs> co 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 yes like science but Mm -hmm. you know with there's no so an end it's co co let's restart okay (laughs) it wouldn't stop making that first noise and i couldn't get it It wouldn't (laughs) no you don't get to clap (laughs) yeah we're taking all that shit out